0: Everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening wherever you're tuning in from. My name is Leslie Lamb, and I'm the host and producer of the Crypto Unstacked podcast. And I'm really excited to be back as a guest host for another episode on Real Vision. And this is part of our mini-series Discovering the Space uh, About the Metaverse and Digital Fashion. Today I'm joined by a force of nature, Charlie Cohen. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Charlie, you've been addressing the metaverse, as it were, since 2013, or the multiverse, however you want to call it, um, and taking physical fashion into the digital world. And you said before that one of your goals is to allow anyone to take their identity with them to any part of this so called multiverse. So, I think that's a pretty massive statement and I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm not sure everyone can comprehend this term right away. Um, so let's start off by talking about this grand ambition of yours, right? And we'll take it back to how things got started for you in the fashion space. Sure.
1: Um, so I guess taking the the grand ambition, um, I think that the, you know, the ideal situation is where we don't have this barrier between our physical identity and our virtual identity. Because the way that we live our lives, um, there isn't really a barrier. We don't think like, okay, I'm going to do like IRL time now. And I'm going to (laughs) do screen time now. Um, You don't separate it in that way. I think when you're socializing with people, when you're chatting with people, you don't really separate it out in that way. Um, So in terms of how you are able to represent yourself, um, visually, that should be equally fluid and not something that you have to think about too much. Um, and in the same way in the physical world where you will invest in your visual identity, um, because you know that, there's a utility to that you're like okay i can i can wear this to uh, in these situations to these events and so on and so forth it's the same in the digital world that there needs to be um a value uh to owning digital assets and that really comes with being able to actually use them in as many different places as possible uh so that's that's really the idea um what i'm talking about um people being able to represent themselves um, seamlessly wherever they're socializing and existing. Um, and going back to the beginning, um, certainly the beginning of uh, working more in the digital space. Mm-hmm. Um, I started the Charlie Cohen brand back in 2013. Um, so prior to that, I would uh, started my first fashion brand when I was 15 to kind of learn the ropes of uh, how to run a fashion business. Um, I went to university and got my fashion degree. And by the time I left, I was very, I guess, jaded by the traditional fashion industry. Um, very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable with it from a sustainability perspective, from an inclusivity perspective. Um, and I guess taking the um, the inclusivity part of it I really liked the idea of digital world building and how I could create a a brand where part of it was about the clothes but a huge part of it was about having a space that you know any of the community could engage with each other engage with me engage with the brand um, and really something that was a counter to the uh, very gated exclusivity of luxury fashion Um, So, I guess quite early on, I got to start experimenting with AR and VR, um, trying to find alternatives to traditional fashion weeks, which we were doing as well, Uh, but being able to create these digital events that anybody could participate in, um, and that was very visually inspiring inspiring and exciting, um, and something that really um, people hadn't been able to have access to before unless they were within these exclusive fashion circles. Um, and from there, I started working more with the gaming industry and really seeing the opportunity around uh, digital assets, as well as just digital experiences. Um, and so started looking at uh, wearables and avatar customization. And through that, um, I discovered NFTs really as a a way to be able to bring more utility to virtual fashion. Um, So we've been able to do these experimental projects where we could work with specific game spaces um, and create uh, skins, wearables for these particular spaces. But it had no utility outside of that particular space. Um, So I really like the idea of there being some kind of solution to that. Um, And through 2020, um, being in this position where we could create uh, digital events and uh, digital fashion, uh, we were in a great position to do all these big brand collaborations because we had something that they really needed at that time, having had right. to cancel all of the physical activations and a lot of the physical production that they had planned for the year. Um, so we got to really experiment and start playing around with these um, that's different technologies, different ways of uh, combining uh, digital and physical fashion um, and having different digital utilities. Um, so through the last, I guess, year and a half, we've collaborated with with Reebok, with Assassin's Creed, uh, with Sanrio, with Pokemon most recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been really able to delve into how we can create this hybrid digital physical experience. Um, Pokemon probably being one of the best examples where we worked with um, a sort of big uh, multi-brand luxury retailer in London, Selfridges. Um, We had a physical pop-up in there, uh, which basically served as a portal through into this virtual city that we'd created um, around the Pokemon IP to celebrate their 25th anniversary. Um, And through the virtual space, we sold both uh, digital fashion um, that had utility across the metaverse um, and also physical fashion as well, which had... um, augmented reality integration so mm-hmm. that you could uh, point a smartphone at a physical garment and it would unlock a, an AR filter.
0: Incredible let's unpack that entire journey so we've ended um, you know just talking about one of your biggest projects and we'll definitely dive deeper into that but let's go all the way back to when you were 15 because right. not everyone has a very clear path when they set out at that young age, right, saying this is what I want to be doing and actually doing something about it. Right. We all have ideas. I want to be this. I want to be that. But then there's always this sense of, well, I need to go through schooling. I need to go through this experience, intern here, get this early job, and then eventually I will be able to start my own thing. Right. That's typically how I think people who want to become entrepreneur entrepreneurs, um, maybe You know, uh, course their path, if you will. So, your journey with fashion started at 15 with you founding a company. I mean, what influenced you back then to say, you know what, now's the time? Well, I think
1: there were a couple of big contributing factors. Um, One being that I'm very lucky in that my parents and most of my family are entrepreneurs. So, that's something I've always been exposed to. Um, And I've never really had any fears around it or I guess the same sense that it's a huge risk to take um that maybe someone would have whose um whose family are in more traditional work um so there was that barrier that already I'd I'd never had to experience um and then the other piece is that when I was uh, 13 um I left school for two years and sailed from the UK to New Zealand with my mum and stepdad um basically had this huge lifestyle change um and really during that time just got to create so I mean a lot of the time we were uh, we were in port but whilst we were at sea sometimes for stretches of four to five weeks at a time um I'd be writing I'd be sketching um I'd be figuring out kind of what I wanted to do when I arrived um, and had the you know the benefit of being in one physical location for a length of time Um, and I was already really obsessed with fashion. So I, you know, started off kind of designing like, Oh, this is, you know, when, when there are shops again, this is what I want to buy for myself. Um, and really by the time that I got to the other side and New Zealand, um, I had a pretty, I, I had solidified the idea that fashion was what I wanted to do, um, And then in New Zealand itself, um, it was a much easier school curriculum than it had been in the UK, um, even having taken two years out. So I had uh, kind of extra time on my hands. Um, I uh, saw locally that there were sewing and pattern cutting classes available. So I just enrolled myself in those Um, and really just decided to, to go for it because I knew even at that time that design would be just a really small piece of the puzzle Um, and I wanted to learn like how to build a supply chain how to sell wholesale how to market stuff how to fill out a tax return Um, and it seemed like it was a great opportunity to be able to do that before going and doing my formal fashion training because again like I from what I knew about fashion school which was definitely accurate by the time I went there is they don't teach you that much about the the business side of things um so I just wanted to take the opportunity whilst I felt that I had it
0: so what was that first step for you right you had all these sketches drawings right I want to be in this space to be an entrepreneur and start my own brand was it at that time right um so what was that first step that you took um for for those interested in just trying to start something new
1: um so I figured out what would be the, the lowest hanging fruit to test stuff out which was um customizing t-shirts. Um so I ordered like a in bulk these uh blank t-shirts um and basically started designing um screen prints and patches um chopping up the t-shirts and so on and just figuring out a a collection that way. Um and then literally just started walking into local stores with my t shirts and having a chat. Um and I think the novelty, especially, you know, the people are very nice in New Zealand and the novelty of having this like teenager wander in with her wares. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people were very keen to support. Um and that was really how I how I got started and I was lucky to have that um initial encouragement. Um, because yeah, definitely um, I mean, even now, I would absolutely um the idea of just walking into a store and <laughs> trying to try my to pitch myself is horrifying. <laughs> so how I managed to do it at that time, I have no idea.
0: That's incredible. Um so I read somewhere that you spent a lot of your youth protesting. Um, um yes. <laughs> or or being active you know, kind of going behind movements and being very, very vocal about things. So, yeah, what what called you to become an activist and, and kind of, you know, outspoken? Because, uh, again, it's not very, uh, very common for someone who's that young to go out and do that. Right. Sure. I, I think really my mom.
1: Um, so, I, you know, she would be engaging me in conversation about geopolitics for as long as I can remember. Um, she's a very curious person um very much a researcher uh she'd always be sort of digging i guess behind headlines digging behind mainstream media um and she just got me very interested in um in the world um and you know what was happening outside of my own little bubble um and then the other side of that um has the um all of the kind of build up to the Um, Iraq war was happening I was living very close to one of the uh, navy bases Um, and a lot of my friends in school had uh, parents who were in the British navy Um, so it was a really hot topic as well just within my community Um, and a lot of the protesting kind of took place around the the navy yards and stuff so you know at 12 I was like trying to climb over the gates of the navy yards wearing my like hazmat suit and like i mean obviously managed to not get arrested but um yeah the the opportunity was was there, I guess, and I was very passionate about it I've been brought up to be very passionate around um around these issues like especially um especially around kind of war intervention and and so on just um again, just the conversations that i'd had with um with my mom i mean i'm 31 now so most of my um I guess formative years there were all of these oil wars that were going on one after the other Mm. um and there was there was just so much that was was happening that was like 9-11 and so on like all at times when I was at an age where that was really um really impactful um so and that and that, um, I guess, outspokenness and need to be able to express myself through some form of protest has very much bled into uh, my work um, and how I go about designing, storytelling and, and so on.
0: We will definitely be exploring that because I think that gives um, you the distinctive visual identity uh, in a lot of the work that, I see online and I'm sure there's a whole bunch that is not um, yet listed on online. Um, But it's, it's different and it's different in such a good way. Um, And there's always a story I think behind every designers, you know, either from one collection to another, or just, I would say um, the way that the designer kind of does their work across everything, every piece has a story, right? So, let's now go to post um post fashion school right at, at that age you were what like 18 19 years old uh, um, yes i or
1: was it? 18 19 when i started so, and then, so 22 when i came out Twenty two, year
0: what did you care most about changing you know within the fashion industry at that time i think um i think at that time it was
1: really around sustainability um, not just from the um, environmental side of production and the ethical side of production um, but also from trying to figure out how the consumer could get as much wear and value from what they were buying. So I was really I got really interested in um, tech wear and technical fabrics um, and how I could bring in these properties of like comfort and durability um and like real practicality into something that was more contemporary and fashion-led um and i mean that yeah that's how i sort of got into um active wear and tech wear pretty much um straight away after i graduated um so it, it all kind of came came together around sustainability, but also around uh, how can I get somebody to really value this? How can I design something that someone's going to want to wear every day?
0: When you talk about fusing physical and digital identity and kind of staying consistent, I guess, um, as one of the main, mm, main main goals, or or I don't know, actually, I would like to ask you that. Does your identity have to be
1: consistent right I think there are I think there are two ways that um, people are approaching and will approach this either that you want to have this very clear, consistent identity, for example, a brand or someone who's built a personal brand or right. somebody who just wants to have a consistent identity um, and then you'll have this other type of person who really enjoys being able to create. Um, alter egos and alternative identities depending on you know where they're playing or where they're socializing Mm -hmm. um in the same way that you know in our physical lives as well um you represent yourself probably in a different way in a professional context versus a social context versus when you're like with your family for the holidays and Um, We do have all these different facets of ourselves that we explore visually in different ways. Um, So the metaverse is a really good way to do that as well. Um, So what I think is interesting is not just about the ability to have a consistent identity, but to have as much power and flexibility over how we curate our visual identity in the digital world as we do in the physical world whether you want that to be one consistent identity or lots of different um, alter alter egos.
0: So are any of the big brands right now, or the luxury brands, let's maybe narrow it down to that, are any of them really working on um, kind of solving some of the issues that you mentioned and also touching some of these important um, aspects of fusing physical and digital identity uh you know that that we're talking about right now is is anyone really on the cutting edge that you know of I mean sadly
1: the the person who really was was Virgil Abloh um and uh, I I don't know if you've sort of seen or read any of his um manifestos around the around the metaverse and identity um but he was somebody that really was doing a lot to be able to bring luxury fashion into the space and helping people understand um the importance of it. Um so I mean that's you know it's obviously a very um a very tragic loss. Mm -hmm. Um in terms of other luxury brands, I think you have um say like Balenciaga and Louis Vuitton especially who have understood that their new consumer is a is a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been doing a lot of really interesting experimentation, uh, collaborating with the gaming industry and exploring digital identity, crossing over with physical garments in that way. Um you have, I mean, sort of out of luxury but still on the fashion side. You have um Adidas who have made a really interesting play. Actually, I think they're one of the brands who've been most successful in integrating with the Web3 community. Um, they recently uh, did a, a drop with a like two very big NFT projects, Punks Comics and mm-hmm. uh, Bored Apes Yacht Club, um, which is both digital and there'll be physicals that will be dropping. Um, but before they did that, they spent um, most of this year very actively engaging with the whole community. That's something that the wider luxury industry haven't put enough effort into yet. Um, how to actually authentically engage with um, with the community because that's actually a, you know, a massive a massive piece of it um, and something that I think is very positive in that it gives um, new brands and new designers. Um, a a a, a level playing field yeah because they can if they can build a community then they can come into this with as much power as a a luxury brand coming in um because they it's you know it comes down to how well you can engage with and speak to the community as well as as well as talent
0: well how do you think adidas did that Right. Because they're, they're just as well known as the next, you know, Nike, Reebok you've worked with. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're not a new startup by any means. So how do you think they just came out and said, hey, look, Web3 community, like we want to also be in this space. Like, let's get some you know, engagements going. How, how do you think they did that successfully? I think they did a lot of research
1: um, as to what would be the best way to go about it. And they they really took their time getting to know the community before they tried to monetize it. Uh, whereas most brands are coming in straight away um, mm. trying to monetize without putting in those those months first.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because even within the sports wear industry, where I know you get some of your influence from, right, the active wear and the tech wear, um, there's this question of, you know, is the stuff within this industry commoditized, um, where there's not really the sense of exclusivity as it is. Like When I think of Adidas, I don't think, oh, wow, you know, lots of brand collaborations, lots of lots of exclusive drops in the same way that I would associate a luxury brand, small or big, in the way that they go out and try to curate their so-called community of buyers, right? Um, And and so it's interesting, I think, with these these brands like Adidas and and Nike coming into the space and really wanting to integrate, you know, in the metaverse and and in Web3, trying to build some exclusivity by way of NFTs Um, and and maybe you know they become I I, I use this word a lot but they become the luxury so-called brands of the digital world sure but you know not because of material necessarily but through the different engagements that they end up creating or collaborations right what do you think about that?
1: Sure I think um, I think first of all exclusivity and luxury within the metaverse is going to come more from access um so what access do these tokens grant you whether they're wearables or jpegs or whatever else um and you have um i think the the sportswear and the streetwear industry that are much more culturally connected they're working for example all the time within the music industry so maybe that's part of the access that they're able to grant that Mm -hmm. is just you know it's not generally within the remit of a, a luxury brand because that's not that's not how they go about their partnerships um it's I think it's more more natural to be looking at ways to create this um these events and this access because that's what sportswear streetwear brands are used to doing that's the the way that they've grown in the first place Mm -hmm. so it's much more it's much more natural um i think where the where the luxury industry will come in initially probably a bit like the dolce and gabbana drop is where they're granting um i believe with that there was a utility where the um the holders get access to the couture shows um like access is going to be the probably the smart way for the The luxury industry to get involved and it's going to be much more around that than about garments that are being worn in the metaverse Mm. um but i think where there's the most scope to build the like the the, the web3 native luxury brands are the, the native brands that are coming in now um it's kind of an open um an open playing field um and i mean if we look at what's considered luxury within uh, profile pictures, which is uh, where you know so much of the money within NFTs mm-hmm. is being spent now. Provenance is hugely important. Um, and I think that's going to play out within, uh, within fashion as well. The, the brands that start early and have that uh, provenance of being an OG um, within digital fashion, um, that's going to have uh, a lot of value attached to it. Um, over the next few years,
0: yeah, I think the big question is, what does luxury mean in Web three? Right? How does that change from the traditional sense of the word? So, I so I think that's like a really big question for our listeners to also maybe just yeah think about, right? Because it doesn't necessarily mean what's what's existed in the physical world is necessarily just going to pour it over 100% into the digital world. And as you say, access, right? Um, maybe that is the defining definition of luxury. And it's not that that concept doesn't exist in luxury because obviously that's what exclusivity means. Right. But it's a bit more democratized, I would say, yeah. not entirely, <laughs> not entirely. Uh, but I think we are progressively Getting there, um, so I think what's what would be interesting now is to explore how the Charlie Cohen brand is doing that right like w- what is your strategy when it comes to building garment digital fashion you know for the metaverse So I mean this is probably
1: where my my second company comes in, um, which I've been building through the last year um, and launching. Um, early 2021, Restless, um, and the the per or the way that Restless came about was me within Charlie Cohen trying to figure out how to be able to streamline the collaborations that we've been doing because we had all of these different stakeholders. Uh, so there's the the license that we're working with for the collaboration, um, then the different uh, the different tech partners, the different artists, the different game environments that we're creating digitals for the physical supply chain um and it was a very each collaboration has been a very convoluted process having to go to each of these stakeholders then it goes back through us back to the license back to us um so i was trying to figure out how to streamline this within charlie cohen um and that really evolved into into restless um and the the premise of restless is that you can come in as a a fan of a certain uh, brand or ip or artist you can choose a um a fashion silhouette um you know street streetwear, wear tech wear silhouette um you can then customize it with the graphics ip of uh of whoever the um the brand that we're collaborating with or, or mm-hmm. dropping uh, whether that's a, a web3 native artist or a musician um, there'll be a mix of web three and traditional IP. Um, so they can customize their garment with these graphics, then they can mint it, and then they can put together a bundle of different renders of that garment for each of the environments that they game in or that they socialize in. And they could also redeem a physical version. So it's kind of about creating this hub that connects all of these very disparate um, economies and ecosystems that make up the metaverse, um, including traditional gaming industry as well. Um, But being able to design and create something very easily in one place um, and then be able to connect all of the different versions that you need to that.
0: Has there been any thought around uh, working with esports? Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a very very natural a very natural crossover. So yeah, we have been been talking quite a lot to um the uh to the esports industry. Um and there are I mean there are lots of ways to approach that. First of all, it's a very natural audience. Um mm-hmm. I think the importance of having um physical as well as digital is there too um because you have these physical events um, and these communities that are having these um, IRL touch points all the time through the year, um, but obviously most of their socializing is taking place in the digital world. You have the esports teams who are celebrities in their own right um, amongst their amongst their fan bases, um, the streamers who are celebrities in their own right. Um, so being able to provide um, well, first of all a way for the actual uh, teams and streamers to perhaps create their own um, their own merchandise mm-hmm. for their fan base um, that's something that's really important um, being able to create uh, an experience that maybe only uh, participants of a physical event or people who are coming into the digital stream can access um, so I guess taking what we built uh, for Pokemon, uh, this virtual city, as an example, um, we could work with an esports team to create an experience where just people who are at the particular event access this virtual space via a, via a QR code, um, and then they can purchase something that's exclusive to this, um, you know, this this uh, final or like day day event. Um so there are I think there are definitely lots of different ways it's the it's really the OG physical digital crossover mm-hmm. um esports uh so yeah very very natural partner
0: Well let's talk about Reebok as well that she looked really cool I don't know if I can get one there. Thank you <laughs> Um but the concept there this is something I picked up in I guess it was your interview that you did uh when it was, it was kind of like showcasing a few models uh for the shoe the the concept was destruction is a requirement for evolution talk a bit about that that's super cool
1: yeah i think it's this um i guess like Solvay and coagula within alchemy um you have to sometimes really destroy something to be able to build something new um one brand who i think doing Brilliantly coming from the physical space into the metaverse are the hundreds um and they the hundreds.
0: oh right, is it the Adam bomber
1: yeah. yeah okay yeah Adam Adam bomb squad, um, and when they dropped, um they were putting a lot of effort afterwards into writing all of the stories around the different artwork so when the reveal of the artwork happened, um there was all of this um history and context to it. Um, so it ended up taking taking weeks after people had uh, minted their Adam Bond squad for the actual image to reveal in the wallets. Um so yeah, people were just uh ask it just became kind of a running joke that people were asking when metadata yeah. <laughs> over the course of the weeks. Um so I um so this is in the Hundreds logo font. I made one of these t shirts for uh Bobby Hundreds, um, and then just made one for myself. Amazing. Um, But yeah that was but but they're doing again like they really understand about uh grassroots community building Mm -hmm. um and they've done a really amazing job so i think they're probably the best example of a you know very established physical brand coming into this space and and doing a really good
0: job i i remember missing that nft drop It's like, wait a minute! It's only been a few minutes. How how is this possible?
1: <laughs> it's, I mean, there are still um, there are still bargains to be had on open sea. So definitely, definitely get on there okay, check, and out. <laughs> check out check out Adam Bomb's but I've got quite a healthy collection of them myself. Um, so back to back to you. Uh, your question around Reebok um, and the like destruction being this precursor to evolution. Um so as i was saying before i had a coughing fit <laughs> that um it's really this uh, concept of um of alchemy solving coagula um you need to be able to well sometimes you need to completely destroy something to be able to build it up it's not enough to be um i guess like plastering over the cracks um it's actually a whole new system that needs to be built um so that's really what i was speaking to it it's being able to take the take the risk of you know huge transformation uh to be able to get to where things should be or where you want things to be
0: yeah i mean for for something like this collection um is it a repeatable theme for you as a brand like would you go on and do this exact same thing with an Adidas or a uh, you know Nike um or is it just one off and you kind of want to keep it that way
1: I think it's it's probably one of the themes that comes up for me um I would like with every collection that I design collaboration that I do I want to be able to approach stories in different ways um but there are definitely these running themes um so you know Evolution and metamorphosis is a really ongoing theme for me. Um, the conflict between digital and physical identity is something that's been a really ongoing theme for me. Um, and the sort of Matrix-esque themes around, you know, is it simulation or reality? That's a very ongoing theme for me as well. Um, and we talk about mental health a lot through our different collaborations also. Um, so, yeah, these are these are themes that I guess we explore just in different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you ha- even have a podcast as well on the Charlie Cohen website. You even have a podcast, Shades of Blue. <laughs> yeah, and you've got several conversations going already at this time. When did that project start? So even
1: since the very beginning of uh, launching the Charlie Cohen brand, I'd always been very outspoken around my own mental health um, and my personal struggles. Um, and it was something that I realized whenever I put something out there, um, I was getting so much back from the community, just, you know, that they were feeling heard, that they weren't feeling so alone. Um, and, you know, I realized, actually, I can really help people if I use this as a platform to just, you know, bring up these issues that we're we're all dealing with, um, but not necessarily talking about and the concept for shades of blue um uh, i really wanted to formalize something around it kind of under the Charlie Cohen umbrella mm-hmm. um and i thought that it was important to talk about mental health specifically within the creative industries where you have um you have artists and creators who are in many cases creating because that's their outlet for dealing with mental health. Um, it, you know, artistic people tend to be very emotional and very deep and often they're artists because that's how they're dealing with some kind of trauma. So you have probably a disproportionate number of people who are suffering. Um, and then the creative industries are some of the worst for exploitation. Um, and I guess just really facilitating um poor mental health um substance abuse overworking mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. the glorification mm-hmm. of suffering, uh the whole kind of struggling artist uh tortured artist stereotype that's quite glamorized um so I just wanted to look at um I wanted to speak to people from different parts of the creative industry understand their experience um personally and then also what's right and wrong uh within their industry as relates to to mental health and supporting people
0: Mm. well what's been one of the most surprising things since you know starting the podcast and going through all those conversations for you you know speaking with people in the industry
1: most surprising things um i think um I think probably how how open people are willing to be once mm. they you know once they realize that first of all it's therapeutic for them uh, but also it's therapeutic for other people to hear them how far people are willing to go um, to really just lay out all of their history and their trauma in public um, it's uh, when it's still I mean, we're in a much better position now, but it's still quite stigmatizing, especially um, especially with men. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I think just the the openness has been a great surprise, but still a surprise.
0: And you're the one who is carrying these conversations a lot of the times, right? It's not like you sure. just, you know, ponded off to some podcast studio and say, "Hey, I I want to do this. This is a concept, and go and help me, you know, create the narratives," right?
1: Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, these are honestly conversations that I have with people all the time. Um, I mean, anyone that's met me in real life um, and we've had, I guess, a more meaningful conversation than small talk, mm-hmm. they will probably tell you that um, we've, you know, we've we've gone through, we've uh, <laughs> unpicked their, you know, their trauma, their current relationships. There's always there's always a reason. It seems uh, like the time that I meet people is to have these conversations. Um, and people will tell me things that they haven't expressed before or even really dug into themselves before. Um, so I think it's just one of my one of my roles is to have these conversations with people.
0: Mm. You know, and I think this actually, you know, connects quite nicely with the larger narrative about what it means to be a brand in Web3. What does accessibility mean? What does it mean to connect with your community? Um, you know, taking you as a brand, right? You seem accessible as a person. I don't know who the CEO of all these other big brands of the physical worlds are. And if I ever were to meet one of them, it's because I probably won a lottery ticket uh, to go to a show. And that somehow granted me a 10-minute access to talk about, you know, who knows what, right? But not in the same way that I think these homegrown kind of grassroots brands trying to, you know, make it in the Web3 space are interacting from the top down right you as a fashion designer as a founder of the company all the way down to you know people who you work with right um those down the line in the supply chain like i'm sure it's not you you don't think of that whole operation as very piecemeal and i don't deal with these guys i i only want to deal with them as like the head honcho right i i'm, I'm sure that the The idea of running the brand and the operations is also quite different when it comes to building for web three
1: yeah, it's very it's very holistic. Um I think web three teams as well it's it's just it's much less hierarchical, much more collaborative. Mm. Um, the I guess it's more like a startup where the the core team are usually stakeholders in the company as well, like they have a real ownership of what they're building. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not about there being a boss. It's just about having your set responsibilities, um, a level of structure that keeps everything moving along how it should, mm-hmm. but everyone really having, um, ownership over the, the process and the final outputs, which is the way that, you know, I've always, uh, been as a CEO. Anyway, that's how I like to, uh, I like to build a team, be able to, give everyone a lot of flexibility, a lot of ownership. Um, and that's, it's the way that things are just naturally building out in, in Web3. I think especially in Web3, um, the number of teams uh, who've never met each other. Um, it's, it's it's about mm. people kind of who come together over an yeah. idea and an ethos. Um, and then, you know, they're just working together to be able to build something um, that they feel is needed in the space. Um is a much more organic process, I guess. Um they're like, right, I'm gonna start this company, I'm now gonna hire a team.
0: Um it's
1: uh yeah, it's um it's much more organic.
0: So talk about how the whole collaboration with you know Poke- Pokemon, the, the IP and Selfridges came about
1: so we got the licensed to do something with Pokemon Um, at the end of last year we knew we wanted to do something that was a real crossover between digital and physical we knew we wanted to do something to celebrate the 25th anniversary um, but we hadn't fully decided what it would be yet um, and shortly after that, um, Selfridges got in touch with us because they really wanted to do some kind of, um, activation around the metaverse. Um, and they were really keen to be a first mover, um, as a department mm-hmm. store. So it just seemed like a really, um, a really great way to, uh, bring these two opportunities together. Um, and we worked together with, um, riots, uh, Yahoo lab. So they are a, uh, Fantastic team that specialise in uh, immersive tech and um, like digital retail experiences. We'd worked with them. Um, the, we with them last year, creating this uh, virtual reality experience, um, and they sort of partnered with us um, and helped us build out this um, insane game world. Um, it's it's still up, so I would highly encourage anyone to visit ElectricCity.co. Um, and just have an explore because it really is um, it really is very beautifully put together um, and so yeah we have this sort of dream team of of partners to to make this happen um, and yeah I think it's one of my proudest projects to date.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you have any other brands that you wish to work with not necessarily planned but just over the long term you know you you respect and want to collaborate with. Oh,
1: I think, I think many, um, I think even like, I love, I love working with, um, with music artists and music industry. Um, if I hadn't gone into fashion, I would have gone into music. So that's my way of just being able Keeping, to yeah. to tap into that. And I think as well, there's just so much around creating these full sensory experiences that, that makes sense within music. Um, so, you know, partnering with more record labels, partnering with more independent artists. Um, but also I would love to be working more with um, with Web3 native artists too. Um, so it's, I guess, my over the last couple of years, um, I've almost shifted to wanting to work more with the... Um, with these more like anarchistic web three artists (laughs) who are you know coming in and autonomous um versus the the more traditional ips um but yeah I think without I think I'm going to jinx it if I name names because there are a lot of there are a lot of the people who I really want to work with who I probably will be working with now um but yeah let's 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 leave it as um progressive music industry um and yeah artists who are who are killing it in the nft space
0: mm-hmm. excellent well as we wrap up here charlie I just wanted to end with you know two again more big picture questions and the first one is why is the metaverse important to you you could be doing so many different things Right, um, working on other aspects of Web three, continuing that Charlie Cohen brand, just physically, you know, in the physical space. Why the metaverse right now?
1: I think the the metaverse right now is most closely tied to like who we are and how we express ourselves, um, and how we, um, I guess, how we're able to um, reconcile. Um, who we are in the physical world versus who we are in in the digital world um i i think it's just it's, it's so fundamental to everything being able to being able to i guess comfortably be you um i think as well being able to comfortably express yourself is something that web 2 social media has damaged severely over the years especially for the younger generation coming in who are so scared of doing anything that might get them criticized or canceled or trolled. Um, the metaverse gives these generations a way to, um, explore identity in the same way that we were able to before, uh, before social media. Um, but with even more tools to go even more experimental. Um, and if you want to be anonymous, pseudonymous, you can be, um, and yeah you, you can just really um experiment and explore which is um just you know hugely important to self-development to mental health uh to understanding who you want to be and what you want to do it's just as I said like it's really really fundamental mm-hmm.
0: and you know you've you've mentioned right 31 we're both you know kind of on the border I think of being millennials. Uh, <laughs> and what we're seeing right now in Web3 is, you know, the, the the rise of, you know, Gen Zers who are really wanting to start off their career in Web3, right? They're not saying, let's yeah. go traditional and then move over. And so I've always been wondering about this generational divide uh, when it comes to understanding what the metaverse is about, first and foremost, and how meaningful virtual life can be, right? Um, my parents don't understand why we even need anything digital in terms of uh, garments. What what does that do for you? If I can't wear it, what's the purpose, right? Um, sure. So it's, it's not to say, you know, their view um, should be discounted just because we've moved so far ahead in terms of innovation, but rather taking it into context and saying, well, hold on a minute. That means the what we value is changing and how we're valuing, you know, these assets, right, pieces of work, um, that's also changing as well. So can you talk a bit about maybe that generational divide from, from your perspective, um, you know, what it means to, one, create virtual life and why that should be important to the future generations that are going to be working uh, in the metaverse and digital fashion space?
1: Sure. I think, I mean, you know, one of the things that the metaverse is built on, we've learned through Web2 social media, the actual depth of connection and relationship you can make with people online who you've never met or never seen, um, and how real that is. Uh, I think, that's where you know that's the place where you kind of need to bridge the understanding and the pandemic has done something for that where suddenly we've all gone remote we've had to find these Mm -hmm. virtual ways to communicate with each other some feel more like we're in the room with each other than others um the technology that is making up and evolving the metaverse um makes those interactions um as real as possible i think um it was a real eye-opener for me last year when I'd would um, i been in LA for nearly six months away from my team in London um, and we were doing this virtual reality project. And as a team, uh, we were setting up the space and just hanging out as avatars in the space, um, not even realistic avatars, literally just floating shapes. Um, and it felt so much like we would, because we were talking to each other um and we could see something of each other kind of moving around and could uh you know virtually interact with each other um it felt so so real um it felt like so similar to being physically in in a room um and i i think with this um the generation who don't understand um the the gateway drug is maybe giving them access to that type of experience uh, so they can start to understand the depth of connection that's possible in the metaverse and then through that it becomes clearer why um why identity in the metaverse is important why the economy of the metaverse is important why uh you know these new generations building businesses in the metaverse is important why it's uh why it's kind of the next the next step for us
0: as a society so many truth bombs so many just interesting insights shared during this conversation charlie it's always so great to chat with you a thought leader in the new digital fashion space um and of course you know as one of the first conversations that i'm having uh you know about the metaverse and you know this mini series that we're doing uh with real vision so appreciate you so much for coming on the show and I know our audience is really gonna enjoy this. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. It's been really great chatting to you. Hey there, since you got to the end, I'm guessing you liked the video. And that's probably because we don't just turn on a camera and film we work really hard on getting the narrative flow just right. And that's why many finance companies are actually now hiring Real Vision to make videos for them. One of our recent client videos just hit 100,000 organic views on YouTube, and there were no kittens in sight. So if you wanna find out how Real Vision can make a video for your company, just email us at customvideo at realvision.com.